story from the Native American tradition this morning. It's actually from the Cherokees people specifically. And I want you to see if, you, if this sounds familiar. Not have you heard the story before. Many of you may have indeed heard the story before. But does it sound familiar? Okay. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight, and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other wolf is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person, too. Sound familiar? Sounds like what we just read? Galatians chapter 5? Yes? Meeting? Hello? Oh, yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Time to get off Facebook, social media. Time to wake up, have a little bit of coffee. That should have sounded just like what Sam just read to us. All right? Paul said, conflict going on inside of us. The list of the bad wolf sounded amazingly similar to that. And the list of the good wolf sounded incredibly similar to what Paul said. And this should not surprise us at all. If this Jesus who we believe is the Christ is really God, then he is the creator of everything and all people. And so we would expect to find his image everywhere and in all people, wouldn't we? And then if God is Jesus, then we know that then God loves everyone everywhere. And so has always forever been everywhere trying to woo people to himself. Correct? So it makes total sense that we would find rumors and echoes and shadows and myths of his story everywhere. So we should never be surprised by that. I find that to be a beautiful and wonderful understanding of the majesty of the gospel, how big our God is. And we should never be afraid of that. I remember living in India and Hindus would always try to like throw me off. You know, they'd come up and say, well, Krishna washed his disciples' feet long before Jesus did. And I'm like, good, uh, excellent. And they thought it would just destroy my faith. I'm like, what? No. If, if Jesus is ultimate truth, then we're going to see that truth throughout his creation. Right? Now, I want to be clear. I do not apologize for believing that the story of Jesus Christ in the Bible is the fullest and most complete revelation of God and his redemptive work in the world. I don't apologize for believing that. And I think if you have access to it, and all of us here do, we should, we should deal with it. We should know it. We should understand it. We should engage it as it is told to us in our Bible. But for me, wherever I've been in the world, and I've heard rumors of the story, it always increases my faith. But I didn't read this story just to plant seeds of a more wonderful understanding of the gospel this morning. That's not why I did it, though. That's a bonus. So two for one. Thanks for coming on Sunday morning. You could have been somewhere else, but you get a two for today. So that's huge. No, I read this because I think it can really help us understand this most important part of Paul's life. And this is vital to understand. See, here's the thing. 
right here, Paul is about to give us a key to understanding the mystery of living into the kingdom. If we can understand this, and this is stuff we, we've been building up to this for a long, long, long time. If we can understand this, we're going to be well on our way to living transformed and authentic lives. Okay? And I think the old, this old Cherokee legend can help us. <clears throat> Excuse me. For those of us, how many of us have been brought up in church heard Galatians, heard Galatians chapter 5 a thousand times, right? And we've heard it taught on a thousand times. So it's always a good thing to get a new perspective, like in Dead Poets Society. I would have everyone stand up on the pews for a new perspective, but some of you fall down and then I get in trouble, so don't do that. But it's good to get a new perspective from time to time. Plus, I think a couple of things happen to us as we age in our faith. We become too familiar with the passage. And it becomes nothing more than just Christianese language that really doesn't mean what it's supposed to ever mean in the first place. And another thing that can happen to us, if we have understood Galatians chapter 5 and any framework of what we call appeasement theology, you know, doing this to be saved, doing this to have a better life, doing this to prove yourself to God, etc. If we have learned Galatians chapter 5 in any of that context, and we all have because we're all, we're all human and that's how we function, then this amazing key to living into grace actually becomes a brick wall keeping us outside of grace. And also, you might be here new to Galatians chapter 5, and it's important if you're new to Galatians chapter 5 and haven't spent time with it, the language in there can almost seem like it's promoting appeasement theology. So it's good to get a clearer understanding of it, so that's why I want to do this. I think this Cherokee legend is a brilliant commentary on what Paul wrote in Galatians. So let's jump in. So the first thing we need to be sure we understand right off the bat, which is really hard for us to understand, is when Paul says flesh and spirit, he is not talking about the physical and the spiritual. He is not talking about the physical body versus the soul. That's not what's happening here. And unfortunately, that understanding is an incredibly Greek understanding of the world that has made its way and influenced so much of Western Christianity and our own thinking, and it's really an incredibly dangerous thing. This is the limitation of the English language, unfortunately. Okay? Because here's what happens. That idea, sadly, what it does is it leads to Gnosticism on one side. And on the other side, it is a hyper, or leads to a hyper-puritanical theology. Which is why I used a Puritan prayer. <laughs> See how everything gets connected? Just trying to help you with that. Alright? And also, on a side note... This theology that there is a divide between the physical and the spiritual in the kingdom of God is, I think, what has led so many Christians to devalue the entire physical world. As though the only thing God cares about is the souls of Christians. That is, that is not the biblical narrative. That is a Greek understanding of that. You can read Plato and get you don't get that from Scripture unless you're reading Plato into Scripture. So, what happens is this. God started the whole thing with the physical. That's why I was so pleased. God always doing his divine serendipity thing. They play cathedrals today. Isn't that a beautiful, spectacularly stunning song? And the way they played it this morning was so... I was just in the background. This is beautiful, Lord. And that, that person has definitely made sure he's not influenced by Greek philosophy when he approaches the idea of God. So when God started this whole thing, he starts with the physical. Do you notice that? The Bible doesn't start off, 
and God made all these souls, and then he needed to give them a world to live. It's not how the Bible goes. In fact, it says, when the gods got together and they said, let's make man in our image, what did they do? They made us out of dirt. There's nothing more physical than dirt. And what happens, I think, have you ever noticed, and maybe you, you, you've done this in your own subconscious, you, you imagine that when God breathed life into the dirt, it was like filling up a bottle? No. No. He breathed life into the dirt. Our dirt is alive. It's all the same. It's all the same. Listen, when God came among us and died for us, he said this. Whosoever eats my body and drinks my blood shall live forever. He said that. He held up wine and said, this is my blood. He held up bread, this is my body. What is more physical than bread and wine? Body and blood. Nothing. You know, I think the reasons, in fact, I was thinking about this this week studying, one of the reasons we modern and postmodern churches here in the West have abandoned communion, so many churches have abandoned communion or it's just something they do once a month or they never do, while there's many reasons for it, one of the core reasons, I think, is because of this divide between the physical and spiritual. That's where it all started. Just didn't understand how incredibly important valuable it is. So in fact, in studying this and thinking about this, when we get done with Galatians, we're going to do a series on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very in-depth series on communion. I've done pieces and part of it, but we're going to bring it all together and we're going to spend a lot of time on the physical and why it's wine and why it's blood and why I'm sorry if I offend anyone, why Mr. Welch never should have introduced grape juice to this table. 2,000 years of Christianity prior to that moment rolled over in their grave when that happened. So we're going to get into that. So there's triple bonus this morning. <laughs> now you know what's coming in the future, so you can plan July around it. <laughs> Alright, back to this. Here's what Bonhoeffer, in studying scripture, has to say about this Greek divide that we introduced to scripture. He says, the flight from the created work to bodiless spirit or to eternal spiritual disposition is prohibited. Prohibited. So, good stuff. Alright, so what does St. Paul mean then? Well, St. Paul means by flesh, the brokenness. That's what St. Paul means. The broken. The broken image of God in us. That's shattered. And because of that, we only look to ourselves and our own understanding for guidance. When Paul says the spirit, Paul's talking about the side of us as being redeemed. That the image of God is coming back together. That the Holy Spirit is who we look to for understanding and guidance. Here we go. Now think of the Cherokee story. Okay? Two wolves. There's an evil wolf and a good wolf. Think of it this way. Use this imagery if it's too hard to break out of this flesh spirit language. Use that imagery. Feel free to apply that imagery to what Paul is saying. This is going to be incredibly helpful, okay? So, just like Paul said it, Flesh and desire, two wolves in us battling, and just like the wolves in the Cherokee story, these things are at conflict in us. They're in a battle. Paul is much clearer when he explains it to the Romans when he says this. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So this is what's going on. A war inside us. This is important. So now we're going to get to this really good stuff. I've been so excited about this. And here's, because we start to see the profound value of what Paul is wanting us to understand. About how shall we then live into this incredible and glorious mystery of grace. 
We are promised that we can be kings and queens. We can live like Jesus Christ. Well, what's going on? Well, I think it's a complete and utter misunderstanding here that Paul says, here's the key. So what is this battle in us? What is this battle? It is a battle between the desires of the good wolf and the desires of the bad wolf. I'm not going to use flesh and spirit because you're just going to go right back to that wrong divide. Okay? So here is what is really fascinating. Again, the English language letting us down. This word here that is often translated desires or lust of the flesh, which is part of the problem, is because in the English language, that's an incredibly sexual word, right? So that leads to promoting the idea that Paul's talking about the physical versus spiritual. But actually, what the original word means here is over-desire or inordinate desire. All right? Keller is excellent here. He says, this is crucial. The main problem we have is not so much desires for bad things, but our over-desires for good things. When a good thing becomes our God, it creates over-desires. Paul says that sinful desires become deep things that drive and control us. Sin creates in us the feeling that we must have this or that or the other. Right? Now, we've talked about this before. Can I get a series on identity? That's what Keller was just getting at. When we do not find our identity as beloved children of God, if that is not our full identity, then we have to have an identity, and we're going to find it in other things. Okay? So, when we find our identity in something else, that's where these over-desires come from, because that becomes a God, and if we can't have our God, we'll die. Okay? We don't think this. This is just what's going on deep inside. Okay, so for example, let's use relationship as an example. Desiring our spouse is a good thing. And I'm not just talking sexually. Alright, just in any way. Or kids. Think of your kids. Alright, because this happens a lot with us. We find our identity in our kids. Desiring their love and their relationship and their companionship and that beautiful noise, which we love so much. Don't ever be bothered by baby noises, please. Um, desiring that is a good thing. But when that becomes our identity, when we allow our spouse and their love for us, or our kids and their existence to become our identity, now we will over-desire. And the second we start to over-desire, what happens is this. When they do things that we perceive from our twisted over-desire, remember, this is all deep in our subconscious. But when they do things that we perceive to be a threat to our identity, we react inordinately to that supposed threat. Because half the things we react to are really no big deal. Except it's our identity, therefore we overreact. Because we have to protect our identity. And that creates discord, and when left unabated, it creates eventual collapse of So, and this is why to understand what Paul's getting at here is so helpful. Ready? Because if we think Paul wrote Galatians chapter 5 the way it was probably taught to us when we were younger, and maybe some of us still embrace it and others are still teaching it, that as a Christian, you have to turn away from the bad things, that list of Paul's, and you have to turn and live a life of those good things. That's what we have to do as a way to prove our Christianity, or to please God so he blesses us, or appease God so he saves us, etc., etc., 
we will give up completely on grace. And what is a magical key to living into grace suddenly becomes a brick wall. Because here's what will happen. We will either become so rigid in our legalism on one side, because maybe we're disciplined people and we can actually avoid that list, but not really, because you'll see when we get into the list. But we'll become committed to legalism and forcing everyone else to live the same way. Or we will try so hard to live that good list and it never happens, we'll just give up on the whole thing anyway. Either way, we're outside of grace. But what Paul is saying is there is a conflict in us. And that is what is really control, controlling things. Okay? So here comes the very good stuff. When we do or exhibit these bad things that Paul wrote about, and, and he said, and many more like them, it's because we are broken. We are unhealthy. We need fixed. So what do broken people do? They do broken things. Hurt people hurt people. Sick people have symptoms. Do you see? Do you see what Paul's getting at? God, remember he said our dispatches, you are to be set free. This knowledge should free us, tremendously free us. This is why I'm no longer amazed when people do things. People that your whole life you think are these wonderful Christians and all. You know, yeah, I sort of, when I hear it for the first time, I react like I'm amazed. But as soon as I think about it, I'm like, no, they're just broken people. You know, I still want to throw things through the TV at times. You know, when they're ripping off the sick and the elderly in the name of Jesus Christ. But, of course they are. They're broken. We're all broken people. That's why we do these things. And on the other side, when the healthy side, that side being redeemed, is in charge, is winning the fight, then the good things happen. That, that's it. When we get into the list, we're going to get into this imagery of fruit, because that really helps explain what's happening. I'm ahead of myself, but vines don't focus on growing grapes. Vines focus on digging into the ground and getting water and nutrients. And then grapes happen. That's the imagery. You're walking around here trying to grow fruit, the Christian fruit. I'm sorry, it's never going to happen. We're getting there. Ready? So our role is not to do it better. There's the freedom. If you've been living under that, I'm sorry. Here you go, be free. Let St. Paul free you. Galatians 5 is not about doing it better. Okay? Eugene Peterson says it this way. Is that Peterson? Yes. We must not reduce our participation in salvation to the exercise of devotional practices before God or being recruited to run errands for God. I love that. <laughs> there have been so many times in my life that I felt Christianity was trying to recruit me to run errands for God. Like God's not big enough. Or, Craiglinger adds, really like her, she adds, we must learn to cease from striving and to trust that living consistently at the brink of exhaustion, trying to appease God, is not a mark of the spiritual life or a virtue for which we should strive. So then, what is going on? It's indicative. This is the word I've been using for years at Canaan. 
The biblical narrative, as we have it, written by Hebrews, is an indicative narrative. Okay? If the good wolf, the spirit, is in charge... Oh, they're in conflict with each other. There's a wolf. If the spirit, the good wolf, is in charge, this will happen. If the bad wolf is in charge, this will happen. So then, what are we to do? If that's what's happening, then how do we live into the mystery of grace? Ready? Back to our Cherokee legend. It, it continues like this. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? See how brilliant that question is, first of all? Do you notice how he said, how do I win? No, he said, which wolf will win? So there's the first thing. He accepted the truth of the matter that there's two wolves fighting inside of him. So he wanted to know which wolf won. Can we accept the truth of the matter that there are two things inside of us fighting? So this is the question that we ask. Then the grandfather said, the one you feed. And there it is. <laughs> I love this. And I wish when I was 15, 18, 25, someone told me this is what Paul was saying. It would have changed my whole life. Because now it all makes sense. When we get told to read the Bible, it's not because God gets mad at us if we don't. It's because that's how you feed the good wolf. Because the Bible shows us a picture of, hey, that's the bad wolf when you hate people. And when we spend time in the Jesus story like we're supposed to tell each other the gospel all the time, that's how we feed the good wolf. When it says, hey, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Come together. Worship together. Break bread together. It's for one reason, to feed the good wolf. You know, I had someone say to me once about, they don't, I'm sorry I'm off my notes, but, you know, they don't watch uh, Game of Thrones because of all the uh, naked women and sex. And I listened to their story, and I, you know, by the time their story ended, I thought to myself, you know, that's great, you shouldn't. Because I heard the story. And I said, you absolutely shouldn't watch Game of Thrones. I said, the problem is, you now want to make that across the board for every other Christian you know, because they didn't. Well, here's the thing. For me, and I can stand there in front of you, and this is 100% true. Naked women does not feed my bad wolf. Has nothing, the only effect naked women has on me is it makes me love my wife more. But here's why I shouldn't probably watch a Game of Thrones, even though I do. <laughs> because I love them bad people get killed. And boy, does that feed because here's the thing, Joffrey should have died. But you know what? That's not the good wolf in us. It's not. I don't care. It's not the good wolf. You see? Feed the wolf. The good wolf. Or the bad, it's up to you. And you've got to decide for yourself. Only you can be honest and know what you're feeding. Only you. I can't tell you. There's a few things I can tell you are bad, and I make no apologies. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. 
That's wrong. That's never good. There is no part of that ever that feeds a good woman. There's a couple other things I can say. But the rest of it, we got to figure out our own. What feeds our good woman and what feeds our bad woman. Boy, is this freeing stuff, huh? I love this. I've been practicing all week. <laughs> I've stopped trying to do stuff. I've just stopped I'm trying to feed the good woman. See, think of it this way. Going back to my, you know, illustration, like with relationship. You know, sometimes all of a sudden people, after years, just walk away. And it's not because they're bad people. It's because, like all of us, they fed the bad wolf too long. So what happens is we're born into a society and a culture that tells us self-preservation is number one. It's in our constitution. Or at least the declaration. Which one says pursuit of happiness? Yeah, that's our constitution, right? Okay. So there's good things there. There's good things to self-preservation. But if all you do is feed the wolf of self-preservation long enough, it becomes a raging maniac. And all of a sudden, the only important thing in your life is your personal well-being and happiness. And that's a monster that we can beat. You see? And that's all that happens. So when we practice feeding the bad wolf with good things, even sometimes, suddenly it becomes a wolf beyond our control. Because I want you to think about something. How did Paul frame our entire gospel, this, this whole passage, right? We talked about this. Through love become slaves to one another. That's pretty much the opposite of personal happiness, isn't it? Except that in the bigger, mysterious, glorious picture, that will be our happiness when we just surrender to it. But in this small world, that's the opposite. These two wolves at battle. But here's the great news. This is why Paul can absolutely and adamantly say this. So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not. It's not like if you do that, well, it'll be easier. No, you just won't. Because when the good wolf is fed, it's way more powerful than the bad wolf. That's the thing. Listen, as powerful and deadly and raging as the bad wolf can be, and it is, it is. Look, have you ever noticed, this is where I was getting into this again, too. I always thought, I never really paid attention to this list, obviously close enough, because I always thought it was like these personal things. No, look. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions. Half the badness is about what? Breaking down relationship, discord, and disunity. Oh, sounds like the Christian church. Doesn't it? And that's what Paul's getting at. Galatians is being ripped apart. He's like, well, all it's doing is ripping you apart. Which makes me think all the other things probably are about ripping relationships. But so, it's powerful. It's powerful. The bad wolf is powerful. But here's the thing. When the good wolf is fed, even the gates of hell can't prevail about it. Guess, right? Jesus died. And all that happened was he rose again. Alright, now listen. As I wrap up, I want to be sure I am heard here very carefully. Because I know some of what I just said could be misunderstood. I do believe with all my heart that this is the key to living into grace and living out the gospel. Not the key to understanding the entire mystery of God and the kingdom. That's not what I mean. But the key for us to live into grace. But I am also aware of a few other things. Number one, 
all of us have been feeding the bad wolf for so long, it is powerful. And it is not going away without a fight. Trust me on that. This is why even St. Paul said, I often do things I want. It's a real battle. And I get it. And so, I guess what I want to do with this first thing is encourage us. If sometimes your Christian faith or walk seems like one step up and two steps back, or sometimes do one, uh, well, yeah, one step up and two steps back, or maybe two steps up and one step back, but be patient with yourself. And be patient with others. And redirect your focus. Not on trying to stop the bad, but on just trying to feed the bad. <coughs> Number two, and I really wasn't going to go here, but I guess I should. Maybe this was God's way of saying, well, you, you need to share with your own opinions. There are many of us who, for various reasons, have physical or mental health issues.